1: Mitt, it never fails. We always have something exciting happen, but welcome to West Point, Mississippi, the Gamekeeper Studio, home of Mossy Oak. We are, we're proud to have you in here. We're looking uh, at talking about food plots.
0: Love talking about food plots.
1: Lanny, we've got a guest that we, we had Mitt on. We've got Mitt Wardlaw. Yeah. Mitt was on back last uh, January when we had that really cold weather and he explained the what
3: was happening,
4: the scare.
0: The scare that I think we think might have helped, might have helped our clover.
3: I don't possible? know. No. I don't
4: know? Okay. Sorry. I don't know.
0: I don't
3: I know if it really helped anything. I, I think maybe it hurt some stuff we don't like more than it our hurt clover. our clover or there something like that. But it definitely hurt. Uh, I had some late stuff and it wiped it out. I had some early stuff and it lived, you mm-hmm. know, so it depends. I'll let him tell us what happened. But I don't, my point in saying that, I don't want that again.
1: Yeah. Well, that, no. I, I think Mitt said that only happens about once every 50 years. So we may be good. Yeah, for a I don't while. think I'm going to plan
4: on my food plot plan. <laughs> Get No, again. no.
1: So, so let me say this in talking about how lucky we are to have Mitt, Mitt uh, runs a number of businesses. This, uh, Southern Ag. Southern
4: Ag Consulting.
1: Yeah, where well, you're helping guys with the farmers. Row right. cropping. Row cropping. Row cropping. And then you've got another business called Mid-South Resources. Correct. You guys manage timber, you burn property, you have biologists, you right. help with all sorts management of land plans, management.
4: lands prescribed fires, um, just all things land management. And that's, uh, that's a very big passion of mine. And so we, uh, we've taken what we love to do and turned it into a business. That's
1: awesome. Well, and you 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 talked about being real passionate about it. So let me ask a quick question: Do you put a lot of stock in what Bronson says? Uh forty percent, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> kid, <kidding, laughs> kid. He said you were the smartest guy on food plots he'd ever talked to. So I, I'm just trying to set the table. Yeah, here.
4: no, Bronson's Ron, is, is good at what he does.
1: He's a lot of fun. We enjoy yeah, yeah, having he's, him. He's great so, guy. well, we, look, we got a little business to take care of first. So, just make yourself comfortable. We're glad you're here, and uh, we're going to ask you some questions, Lanny. What? <laughs> it's with kind of the first one we've done in a while. But blood on the biologic. There is a lot going on right now.
0: Did you see the deer that Kerry Wicks killed? I, I
1: did. The, Good Tennessee grief. had a velvet season, guys. Are y'all aware of this?
0: No. They, uh,
1: they killed some giants yeah, last week.
0: KX Wicks killed a giant eight. A, what would a, a Bud called it? A real eight? A real a eight. Real a real eight. eight. It yeah. was
1: a big one. There was a young lady named Rebecca Page that nah. killed a really big one. Uh, there's a guy named Clayton Cannon, JT Martis, and Brody Swisher. If you go to themossyoak.com, there's a little article about. I mean, they're all giant bucks. Killed in Tennessee last weekend when it was 100 degrees.
2: Hmm. That's awesome. That's and, awesome. Uh, That's good stuff. What about like the carolinas
1: didn't nah. didn't South they have carolina's
2: like a? going up yeah. so
1: i hadn't seen much there uh this week last week i saw a couple of deer but, but mid i'm looking at you your buddy uh brent lockala killed an alligator that's right
0: oh, oh. did he get one he did
1: get one all right go one. brent that's giant good. water lizard yep, so yep. uh
0: where was his tag
1: where over here
0: in northeast man mm-hmm. i'll well, tell you what that's a feat right there yep
4: so he yeah. killed. I think it was one centimeter less than seven foot. So that's his little one. Yeah. And so I think now he's going after our big after one. A big one, yeah.
0: Well, good. Well, so. we got a we got a gator hunter over here on behind the board, Richie.
4: We're giving it a try.
0: Yeah, giving it a try.
3: Uh huh. So we chased some last weekend and uh, snagged a six footer, but uh, he got off though. So we're, mm. we're still kicking. Did it. you make sure your life insurance and all is current? You, got yeah, up. Yeah, well, the, Get you yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, all right. Uh, just making sure you're looking out for your family. And that's the same thing my wife asked
4: me before I went out, too. It's you know? not that bad, you know. I mean, you know, and uh, the game wardens checked to make sure my uh, hunting license. Was oh, good, that's good. Too. The so, men so, in green out yeah, there, love yeah, yeah, those guys doing their job.
3: doing, doing their Green line, mm. yeah,
1: mm. Wow, wow. Toxie, do you think you would ever enjoy alligator
3: hunting? Mm. I'm gonna uh- say no. <laughs> I
1: mean, would you see yourself being up at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, standing on the bow of the boat looking for one? Do you, is that something that's
3: – Yeah, but not for a gator. Probably not. For a duck? Yeah, might. Oh, yeah. for a duck.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Neil, no, yeah. yeah, what about you? I, what,
3: I'm not – I'm just not as mad at critters maybe as I once was. That Just for whatever reason, the gator thing hadn't – the bug hadn't bit me.
2: Boy, has it bit a bunch of people. Oh, my goodness. I I agree. I value my sleep too much.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, and then it's like my disorder is, um, and it's a panic disorder, I think, is, um, you know, you have that window this time of year. And it's kind of during the whole summer, but especially this time of year. and And then coming up on, you know, the food plot planning, at least for me, it doesn't start until at least Labor Day or so. If you don't get it done, then you're you're done for the year. Yeah, good. point. And so, especially on the waterfowl, I mean, maybe for doves too. We got some time or not, but um, you know, I, I guess I live in fear. If you don't do your work, don't get the work done, you you'll miss a whole year of your life enjoying it. So it is. Anyway, it's in the back of my mind all the time. Sometimes I why I panic. We're getting to the very end. I should be out there right now. Instead on this bobcast, I mean <laughs> bobcast. bobcast, 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 the
0: gamekeeper bobcast,
3: bobcast. I didn't think about it. the Bobbycast. Anyway, that's, that that's always kind of driving me. It's like you got to get it done or else. And so, uh, I, I, I tend to want to do that more than go whatever fish or gator hunt or anything. You know, this time of year
1: that makes you got a lot. You got. I to mean, it's care.
3: actually wrong of me. I would think I just need to stop and smell the roses more, but. Uh, it's crunch time. I you. don't. That's right. You know, and I do love doing it.
1: Well, uh, blood on the biologic is brought to you, to us by our friends at LS Tractor. And Man, uh, those tractors are getting a lot of use right now. Oh, they're oh yeah, getting a lot of use. Yeah, they're they right. sure Talking so.
3: about something addictive. Oh my goodness, they're nice tractors. That air conditioning's for real. Man,
1: <laughs> so, Mitt, we're looking. I uh, know you're excited as well. Dove season starts uh, just in a few days. Just in a few days. Yeah. We're excited. It's my favorite. I just, I absolutely love it. You do love it. It's, really? It's so I would have fun.
3: never known, Bobby.
1: Yeah. Well, here we go. It, it, it is something. Mitt, you got a dove shoot? I do. Can I go? Now you absolutely <laughs> can. Hey, look at that. That's a good guy right there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He get, awesome. you,
3: you want to get Bobby jaded in a hurry. A, a dove shoot. Two would be ducks, anything with feathers. And then turkeys, maybe right behind that. Or oh, I, don't I don't know. He's, He's a feathers guy.
1: Well, I am. I I do like shooting a shotgun. Mac, let's get this thing back on track. Who is this episode brought to you by? So our our first sponsor is going to be ATN Scopes, and those things are sweet.
0: Boy, I tell you what, Brett Briggs loves his. He's uh, he's after the pigs with it, too.
1: You know, I didn't know that you can record with that scope and then bring it back and put it in your computer and look at it. Some of them you can,
2: yeah. See how many pigs you missed.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you can
2: can watch the scene unfold when you're – when you're actually doing the deed and there's so killing much your definition
1: on those things, you mm-hmm. can see the blood squirting out of the pig. Mm-hmm. Nard,
0: that is incredible, Bobby.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Well, who else, Mac? We've got Moultrie feeders and spreaders. Well, it's that time of year, guys. Yeah, so. uh, we've
3: sure been using them. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's a new product for me. I hadn't been using them in like 30, <laughs> 35 years.
1: <laughs> uh, okay. And then we got one more, Mac. Who is
3: that? Somehow this one slipped
1: through the cracks, but uh, we were asked to ask people to subscribe to the branch uh, on mossyo.com. It's a really cool. It's informative. It's yes, a
0: consumer newsletter. kind of keeps you tuned in to what all we've got going on across the enterprise. Yeah. So. It yeah, very is. Very well so, put together.
1: Well, yeah, it is. You so it is? Right, oh,
4: so I wonder who does that.
2: I don't know.
1: Yeah, so that's my little daughter, so I'm real proud it of It is a
2: broad range of topics, and yeah. all of them are very informative. Yeah,
0: so you get a little peek of everything that's going on in every little corner of the enterprise. So, yeah, sign up. It's yeah, free it was,
3: just to, you
1: know. So I think about. they go to com backslash the dash branch. The branch. They can or
3: honestly, it. they can go to com and it'll direct them to it, too.
1: Pro- yeah. Probably will. Yeah, yep. so – Mac, we need to make sure we send uh, her an invoice for that, please. Yeah, uh, yeah I've already sent that. Right. That they, they, you'll they
3: actually write the check for us. There's yeah. an invoice. So. Yeah.
1: Well, that's right. We can, we can, uh, <laughs> we'll figure that one out. Yeah, we'll get it. We'll figure yeah. it out. Uh, send it to her department anyway. All right. So uh, I, I think that takes care of all of our business, uh, guys. So uh, if you'll, uh, I meant to say, studio business, yeah. Moultrie Feeders, uh, Moultrie.com, uh, ATN.com, mm-hmm. and LS. And LS Tractor. Yeah. USA.com. Mm-hmm.
3: If you hadn't, if you hadn't, if you if you're a four wheeler food plot planner, uh, blatant plug for our friends at Moultrie. You got to get one of their electronic. Yeah, seaters. with that the gate yes. control on it. Yes. it, it makes all the difference. It's in the a world. game changer.
1: You seen that, Mitt? I uh, have. Yeah, yeah. they're nice. It, it nice. is nice. It sure is. So, all right, guys. So let's let's turn our attention. So we got a guy over here that, arguably has planted across the deep south in a lot of different soil conditions, a lot of climate conditions. We've got a lot of questions we can ask you. We want to pick your brain about what you've learned works best and some, maybe some, some myths that, you know, hadn't worked. Toxie's been doing food plots a long time. The rest of us kind of fallen in here behind him, just trying to learn. But we've, you know, we've got guys that are just getting started and we've got guys that have been doing it a long time. So we want to ask you some questions. I'm going to fire the first one. And uh, I want to ask you about the importance of fertilization and how nutrient deficiencies can limit plant growth. Right. Now, it's that time of year. It's time to be thinking about that.
4: Um, so, you know, just starting from the from the very basics, um, it's Liebig's law, the minimum. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, that concept, but really it, it states the most limiting factor Really dictates the ceiling of production that we can do in, mm-hmm. in uh, row crop, food plots, whatever production we're doing. And so if we're missing one of those key, key nutrients, in this case, nutrients in our fertilizer, then that can limit the, the yield that we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, supply to the, to the whatever we're trying to feed or production we're trying to, to create. And so pulling a soil test and making sure you have those, those nutrients in the right balance is very, very important. But I will say too that rarely we will see, especially in a food plot production, unless you got something that's bad out of whack, a deficiency that you're going to be able to see from from you know visual plant symptomology. And something's got to be bad out of whack to do that. These these plants are very good at scavenging you know native uh, fertility that we have in the soil, and so um, sometimes you'll see something out of whack. pH is is one of the ones that probably the the most limiting factor, and oftentimes depending on the soil type and the, and the region that we're in. And that's probably the most important thing to address, because if our pH is out of balance, that's going to affect the availability of other nutrients. And so that's where, where I would start. Um, and then from a soil test there and P and K, and then maybe some of the micros are, are way down the line.
2: Yeah, we've we've seen some uh, at working at the nursery, you can put a plant in a in a soilless potting medium like pine bark or something that has no nutrients at all. And you can see those micronutrient deficiencies right. and things show up really quickly. Right, right. right. Uh, but like you said how many times have you ever seen that in the in, you know, in the in the natural? Very limited. Very limited. Right. And
4: yeah, it's, but it's it, but it's a very when it is limited, it's very important to address that. And so that's a soil test generally can can help you identify those, you know, really easy and economically. You can be out in front of that.
2: Right. Now the like Nitrogen is probably the first one you see, and even you know that's not that's not a micronutrient deficiency, right. but things will yellow up quick when when it's running out of nitrogen. That's right, that's right. Uh,
4: yeah, nitrogen is a funny thing. Nitrogen, the timing of nitrogen is very important too, because um the if you look at the growth curve of, of some of these plant species that we have early on in its and its life cycle, the amount of nutrient that it needs at that time is very very little, and so if you can, you know. Overlap the timing or the biggest need of the nitrogen in that in that plant, whatever species we're we're talking about, with the timing of your nitrogen fertilizer, and overlap those. You're much more efficient with your production yield and your nitrogen use. So, so I something I think, think about?
1: I think Bronson was talking about. It, he's kind of staggers his nitrogen after. Is it what? What was it? Two or it, three weeks?
2: Yeah, a lot of folks do that. Yeah.
3: Uh, side side even, dress. It's like it's like growing corn. That's right. I mean, they've turned P&K under the fall before, don't they? Yep. Subsoil it or whatever, turn it it under. And then most of the time, then they're like, they may do it twice, but I mean, their corn's probably a foot taller more when they well, nitrogen, knife it in or try to, you
4: know. Nitrogen's very mobile in the soil. And so placement and the timing is very, very important as opposed to P and K. You know, it's generally speaking, it's not very mobile in the soil. And so it'll stay there. It'll take a fall application and still be there to utilize it, <clears throat> you know, in the summer. Nitrogen's not that case. And so you want to time those applications. And it's very, very important in the summertime. Um, but time those applications to where the plant is has got in the biggest sink over that nitrogen need. Um,
3: and you'll be more efficient with your nitrogen and increase yields. So is it fair to say if you could – again, there's, there's theory of what's best and there's reality. You know, a guy may not have time or resources, but it'd be fair to say if instead of just putting out your triple 17, triple 13 or whatever and disking it in or, you know, fertilizing re- – Immediately after the plant uh, has you know, jumped out of the ground, you'd be better off to take the P&K, apply it before you disc up a food plot and plant, and then let that, say, would well, pin it on the crop and say a, a month into it right before a rain, then put your nitrogen in later that's right yeah and and also you know time is money too and so a lot of times why that's,
4: people are putting out a triple 13 right. is just a convenience factor and i get that i mean i'm i'm victim of so that
3: what happens to, for me what what happens if you you put the triple 13 triple 17 or whatever formulation out and you do disc it under does that nitrogen is it available longer than if you left it on top no generally speaking it's no to answer your okay. question so mm-hmm. depending on the
4: form of nitrogen. Uh, it can volatilize. I mean, there's a lot of ways that nitrogen can – we can right. lose, um, you know, nitrogen in the, in the soil or to the atmosphere. And so the, the type of, of nitrogen that you use and the way that you incorporate it right. all dictates, you know, its availability. And so nitrogen is a tricky one. <laughs>
1: there's a lot of guys lately have been telling us about needing to – spray the importance of spraying that plot and killing that grass or whatever's in it before you disc it up, that if you if you're trying to disc up green – that, that that's going to eat up a lot of your nitrogen.
4: So, yeah, so the the microbes and, and the, the organic matter and the way that that material is breaking down, to, to your point, that eats first. I mean, that's going to consume the nitrogen. Those microbes, that, that um, the activity of that soil breaking that material down, it's a nitrogen lover, and so it's going to eat first. And so in those situations, we are taking some nitrogen away from some potential plant uptake. Um, so we either have to overcompensate for that in additional nitrogen applications or get out in front of that um, with earlier down, So that, you know, that process is already taking place.
3: So if you if you turn under uh, something that's been dead for three or four weeks or whatever, it's not going to eat up that nitrogen like something green is.
4: Well, no, that process of, of that that dead and decaying material breaking down, that's what those microbes didn't do in that activity. Right. They use their consumption of, of nitrogen. So, so if it's, it's not green,
0: it's
1: still going on, though? Absolutely. Gotcha. Absolutely. Okay, so I thought it was just if it was green. So
3: It's the so breakdown you, of that organic matter. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess if it's brown, it's less matter now, and so maybe it doesn't take as long or something. Maybe Maybe it's better, but what he's saying is either way, you get the same – effect so at what point i guess it's depends on what you what was that green matter what's the soil like what are the conditions i mean how many microbes does your soil already have and but i mean generally speaking if somebody were to disc under a a fair amount of green matter what what how long would you want that to sit there before you know it would be back kind of normalized well i really think
4: this conversation is is somewhat insignificant in the process of the utilization curve on nitrogen. So when you look at, say, a, a fall planting of wheat, right? I mean, we're interested in those first 60 to 90 days is what we're interested in. Mm-hmm. Well, the nitrogen use of that that wheat plant at that time is negligible. I mean, so we'll, we'll put out 125 pounds of, of N on a wheat crop when we're taking it to yield. Well, from the time we plant it till Christmas, it may not use, but, you know, 15, 20 pounds of that. And so, you know, we have we have generally we have that in the soil profile without any additional nitrogen. So, when you're t- talking it's really it's really insignificant at the level that we're interested in a a, a food plot for, you know, forage quality. It, it's insignificant at that at
1: that point. Okay, well, it's good to understand. Yeah, so it's, guess, it's confusing. Well, uh, different, all that different
2: carbon different, to nitrogen ratio and all that stuff, s- it it gets confusing. It's so, like a whole class on that yeah i
3: can't imagine how complex soil chemistry is given you know okay i figured it out right here the thousands of components that make that up and but let's go over here 100 yards it may be a completely different you know or across the creek you know and it's a completely different city it's just so complex and then what plants are there what do you i mean it's just i guess that's the bad and the good because it's no matter how smart you are there's so much to learn Every time you go and what oh, yeah. you do, you know. So an, another way of putting
1: what you you just said is, we may be making it harder on ourselves by we may be thinking about this. Choice. Yeah, I think I
4: think a lot of people can overthink that, and and especially in the in the window that it's important to us. Yeah, you start getting into you know the wheat tillering and thinking about yield and the timings, and then that's that's another another ball game. But that's right. not really when when we're thinking about wheat in this particular situation. Um, when we're thinking about carrying it to yield, it's really beyond the point of palatability for it. It's not even interesting to a deer anymore. Right. And so really that's <clears throat> that that's somewhat insignificant. Can you get into situations to where a nitrogen application will make, make sense in uh during the time frame that we're talking about?
3: Absolutely. But I still think it's it's a little more insignificant than, than some people try to make it. Yeah. So I'm just checking some of my stuff too. And I you know, a lot of stuff I would just feel like it's correct. I'm not, you know, claiming to be sure of myself but then i'll try it but it seems like uh, a big cold snap coming will sap nitrogen and it seems like when i've been able to time it and it's hard to do a little extra you know not a lot but just a little side dress of nitrogen it seemed to help when it got real cold with some of these plants Uh, namely would be say cereal grains and also to a degree i think yeah brassicas So it's interesting you you had the observation because
4: actually the opposite can be true if you hit it too much too early with nitrogen and we get too far along in the vegetative growth, actually that can make it more vulnerable to a freeze or things like that. And so, um, you know, depending on, that's why those spring freezes are so, so important to this Midwestern wheat crop, because if they're already to the tillering and, and way up toward the reproductive stages, it can be very, very damaging. They could have taken that same freeze a month ago and it would have been okay. Uh, and so that's another reason if you don't have the deer to to keep that forage, you know, eaten down to a level, it can go vegetative and get big and rank on you. And yeah, that, number one, it's, it's more freeze prone. And number two, it may we might get outside the window of being the most palatable for, you know, for the deer consumption.
1: Hmm. So when you go to do your own personal plots, I think you've got a property not too far from here, maybe south of here a bit. Uh, wh- talk to us about your timing. What, species you like to plant how you like to plant what's what's your what's your strategy yeah so um i think about my my
4: place from january 1 to december 31 so if you look at a calendar i I don't want any voids and you know before we we um, got went live we were talking about um you know feeding you know our thoughts on protein and things like that and we made the comment that That's been interesting to me to watch those protein feeders and the consumption of those feeders because then I can see and identify really easily where my voids in my food plot production are because Mm. the deer will tell you that. They'll show you that. So if I'm missing something in the time of year, my my protein feeders will be heavy consumption. Right now. Right. That's right. I mean right now. <laughs> and then and, and other times of the year where I've got something natural that's that's blooming or young and succulent or my food plots and peak production, you'll see the consumption of those feeders go go way down. Hmm. And so watching that and observing that when my my lows are, then I'm going right to target where that low is and how can i do that from either a natural early succession maybe a different um, herbicide application or a a timing of fire or some type of food plot production where i can i fill that void and so once i've started thinking about it that way um the, the the really the the protein feeders have become very insignificant uh as far as the consumption and the need for that and so Not that I think I'm doing any good by feeding protein, but it's a very good indicator of what you have and then more importantly, what you don't have. Hmm. So getting back to what you were talking about on what I personally do, um, you know, we I've tried everything under the sun and always looking for. And so what what works on me um, in some heavy clay prairie soils that you know has wet feet may not be the, the right combination for a guy in Webster County with light soil, a lot of topography with it's more drought prone. Um, so that's the way that I'm thinking about. It. So if you think about a blend, um, a lot of times we'll put a lot of different forges in a blend for just an insurance policy. I mean, something's going to green up. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys that are putting these blends together, uh, and, and y'all have gotten examples of that too, it, something in that bag needs to be green, or we're going to be getting a phone call. Mm-hmm. And so really that's an insurance policy. Well, if you hone in on that particular property and what does good and what doesn't do good, then we can go straight to the heart of what I need to have in that food plot. And so that's what I've done personally, is really taking out the individual species, that the time of the year, the, the, the growth characteristics, And trying to have a good even distribution across the whole calendar footprint to where I can, I'm never cleaning the plate.
1: Hmm. That makes a lot of sense. So what percentage of your property is in food plot?
4: So my place is is fairly unique um, in the sense that it was in production row crop in the 90s. They planted it in CRP. It was a colossal failure uh, with the oak. Um, stand that I had and so I planted it over three years time year three had a decent stand year one and two it was terrible and so I timed it just right just by accident when I I acquired the property it was coming out of the the CRP rotation so I was able to take that green ash that that had taken the place of of all the oaks we took that out so I put a lot of it back into open ground Hmm. and so I've got a lot of open ground that I use for food plots, summer and winter. And then the rest of the open ground, I, I, I manage it for early succession. Nice. And so I've got a lot of open ground. I said that to say that I've, I've got a bunch. So I've got um, corn and soybean rotations that I have um, that I also run with a companion crop because um, I've got more acres than I've got money to manage that. It's very expensive, mm-hmm. especially when you're dealing with you know summertime plots and keeping the fertility and all that in. So I'm looking for ways to where i can have that same level of production but decrease my inputs and so i'm looking at companion crops to reduce the nitrogen i've got uh some corn soybean rotations that are five years old that i've not put one uh, pound of nitrogen on and so that's you know i'm looking for those opportunities and um since i've got more acreage in this case than money why chase 180 bushel corn when i can plant two acres probably cheaper with lower inputs that's making 120 bu- I mean uh, yeah, 120 bushel of corn um i can just grow another acre of corn as opposed to because it's really about uh, miles to feed and so the way that I'm thinking about that and really my when I have enough acreage in in a certain um, forage really I'm thinking about turkeys I'm thinking about what how many acres can I plant how many bushels per acre do i need to, to produce to make sure that my corn's lasting through turkey season mm. so that's when i'm up in and decreasing the acres to make sure that i that the, that i can outlast the deer into march and april he and just we, revealed something
3: that i there's 100 percent guarantee he never spoke of yeah i keep that under the hat but that's no, like, no he has no hogs oh yeah that's right i don't have hogs you can have i mean it's like you have yeah, no yeah, yeah. you can't i've just it is such yeah. a nightmare. We don't want to go down that road, but when listening to him <laughs> yeah. say all that, yeah. you're like, he doesn't have hogs. He doesn't like, he don't yeah. have any a lot of the issues that we still have. Yeah. And oh and, my god, that's an interesting conversations. I've got guys that have got hogs, hogs at the level that uh, you've uh, got. This is so yeah. Yeah. they're so dense. There's so many. Yeah. I, I, I would venture to say we have thousands. Or in the thousands. Yeah. Oh yeah. In just on the my own property that I own yeah. here. No, I get Easily. it. Easily. They, it's they're so infested. And they kill them. I have friends. I let them go. They hunt. They take. We trap maybe five hundred or so, in just a couple of years. And it's I mean, it's not even slowing down. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. It's it's such. I don't want to get off on that, but it it can change your whole strategy about this. Oh so no, no, doubt about it. The only sad thing is, I what I had reverted to, you know, the same thing he's trying to achieve is is, and I've been so excited by it, was clovers. Yeah. Especially with the non tip it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And even in this drought right now, I've still got it. Now it, it's it's getting tougher, but you wouldn't believe the deer that it's feeding right now. It's crazy. But I'm starting to see hogs now that this drought. Great, I've never seen them do it like grazing it just like deer and cattle. Oof, and that's that's scary. So, Mitt, going back to your. Uh...
1: The, 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 about the corn the, without all these inputs I, can you explain how
3: you're doing that and because and, that plays right into like toxic in, in your no i mean, he said corn i mean we quit i mean i have a lot of open ground and we couldn't i mean i can plant uh just in one right there at the camp we could plant, plant 150 acres of corn it's ridiculous to think we can grow any corn last year i gave up because we probably planted about 50 or 60 acres. A lot of it was in waterfowl and pounds. We We did not grow an ear, not even one ear on all of that. Wow. They ate every bit of it even before it made an ear. That's how bad it was. So anyway, (laughs) not to get – was not trying to turn the conversation around, but it's it's something to consider and talk about for people to learn. How do they adapt to that if they have that kind of Mm -hmm. problem too? So we we can skip forward. And it's going to be a – if you don't have hogs, as
1: a eventually you're gonna have them. If well, he's,
3: if he's in an open prairie and describing where he is, I know he didn't want to pin it down. That, there's, I know a lot of people that don't have them. If you know, if you're connected to a main drainage, is when you, you so know, we got them in the area, and we're, you know, I'm, hey, we're, we're trapping them on the on the neighbors. Hey, it, <laughs> so, when they show up, it's the time to try to take care of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's
1: right. Yeah. So Bronson had mentioned that you had a. a that you like to plant an annual clover and come back and plant corn into it. Is that how you're doing this?
4: It is. And so if you think about the rotation that I've got, I've got uh, a corn and bean rotation 50, 50 every year, and I'll have a companion crop that I grow every winter with those two crops. And so if you think about that rotation, I'll have in essence three legumes to every corn crop. Hmm. And so two, two clovers in, in the winter, the, the soybean in the, in the, um, you know, growing season, and then the next year will be corn. Um, and so with that amount of legumes as a companion and a rotation crop. Um, I'm able to grow, you know, 120 plus bushel corn without any nitrogen.
2: Hmm. So my understanding is that, you know, soybeans can fix a good amount of nitrogen, but you know, like these annual clovers like berceme or, Crimson or balanza, they can fix a good bit more, correct?
4: Those varieties are are built to do that. And so if you can find one that does that, but also has, you know, a a really high, um, you know, deer preference, then Mm -hmm. that's a win-win.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe our Clover Plus has that uh, berceme in it.
4: Right, right. So, um, you know, those that's that's nothing novel. These breeders are looking for those clovers that that produce that that abundance of nitrogen fixation. So um it's it's there. It's taking um converting atmospheric nitrogen that's, you know, free to us uh, and converting that into a, a plant usable form and putting it back in the soil. How long would so, it stay in the soil till it's used or is it volatile like No, it's it's nitrogen. It's it's gonna move, be moving around a lot. Okay. So that's that's a very dynamic you know situation and and happens you know comes and goes all the time but the more that we can put in the soil profile of course organic matter is a pretty stable um you know when it gets into the soil and it's a good source of nitrogen too so it's
3: constantly breaking down more like a slow release nitrogen if you know if you will what would happen like a a perennial clover that you were able to get to survive for two or three or four or five years, what would happen to that soil under it? Would it not benefit greatly the, from a- the same
4: thing? And so the, the way that I'm thinking about exactly what species to do in that system is the maturity date, because I want my, what I've learned is my planting date on my corn is directly correlated to the yield that I can make. The earlier that I can plant it, the higher the yield, the later I, I plant it, you'll start seeing that yield drag. And uh, and so the species of clover that I'm planting in that companion is is directly correlated to its termination date and so if you move into a a perennial that may last way up into may june july then that's not very conducive to me planting corn so in those situations i'm planting the annual um that has an earlier maturing date so as it's coming down i'm planting my corn into it um and again it's just it it keeps the system going
2: really interesting are you no tilling this stuff Uh, right right into the clover Mm Yeah, yeah
3: is that a heavy clay or is that a... It is a heavy clay. It's how about a traditional that? pre-soils. I mean, what type of planter would you use for a so standard got, no-till
4: or is it something special to it? No, um, and we've looked at a lot of that. And, of course, in my, my line of work in, uh, on my consulting side, um, the companion crops and the cover crops that we use in the production agriculture, I get to see what these these growers, what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, and so you can put a... You can spend as much money as you want to on planter attachments that, you know, no-till attachments or, you know, row cleaners and things like that. And what we've learned is just a good set of sharp double-disc openers is as good as anything. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, and so if, if you got a, a planter that's heavy enough to penetrate that material and get good seed soil contact, that's really all you need. You don't need the, all the sweeps and all the different technologies that, that we're seeing um yet or may be mad at me for saying that but that's that's
3: what we're that's what we've learned um and so if you is there a difference in your planting depth depending on the type of soil too no there'll be a different um uh, setting on your planter
4: depending on the type of soil and the material you got but the the seeding depths would you would want to stay the same
2: well that's good to know because Mm -hmm. you're putting that no-till equipment into reach for a, a lot of our listeners oh, no that normally it. would think, you know, that's way out of my
4: league. No, no. So I've got a, uh, a, a one of my favorite planners, just a four-row seventy-one hundred John, John Deere that I've, that I've reworked. Right. Um, I've added a little bit of extra weight on the toolbar just to penetrate you Know through that, that that thatch of clover that I'm planting into, but that planter has planted a lot of acres really, really nice. How'd you adapt? Did you have a heavier set of blades, maybe? Or, uh, no, I didn't. So, um, I actually put uh, some railroad iron on the uh, on the toolbar.
3: Oh, just to make it just to make it heavy. It's just a much do way. you have
4: to go slower because of that, or is it just well? I, I generally plant three to four miles an hour yeah. anyway, mm-hmm. and so you want to that's fine. Yep.
2: Sounds like we need to find an old eight-row for clay to turn into a four-row. I've already gotten we one. We got one. I've got yeah. a couple of them yeah. actually already. So.
4: Yeah. And then, you know, Great Plains, John Deere, and there's a lot of good no-till there are. Uh, drills out there that, that, a bunch. that we use. And that's what I'm planting my soybeans and, of course, all my winter food plots uh, with that no-till drill. And so,
3: I, you know, but uh, I've got a Great Plains we've used, but I've, this soil is so hard and it's dry like this. Those cultures just run over the ground like a rubber tire. Yeah, they won't even cut it. So if when the the no-till cultures are up front, you,
4: it, it's all about you know uh, pounds per square inch. Right. The more Physics. stuff that you have touching the soil, the the more flotation, if you will, that it's right. got. Right. So what what we've learned is that if you'll pick those no-till cultures up front, if you'll pick them completely out, it'll put more weight on the double disc openers, right. and give you your give your planting depth we had
3: an old john deere drill it was nothing on it but just short those sharp blades yep. it was an old one, but it really did a great job that's right
2: so for people that don't know what we're talking about the double disc openers on a planter is two they look like plates yeah and they're sharp kind edge of touching plate. each yep. other on the front and yep. they create an opening in the dirt the seed comes through a hose drops into the opening and then uh it closes the soil slip in system. the back right
3: Typically, that looks like some round plate, but scalloped and turned on its side a little bit, and covers, you know, covers it back up. The, I guess the serrated-looking culters,
2: They are, go in front of the double disc open.
3: That's right, and kind of pulverize it a little bit, you but, but know. But he's
2: saying that that just, makes it kind of float yeah. on the surface yeah, more. Right. it makes I, sense.
3: I've just always been—if it's so hard, because some of it's really—I mean, some clay—there's clay soil, and then there's clay soil that—, it, that I feel like I'm tearing my drill up and if it's that dry, I think I have no business with no more soil moisture, wasting seed at that when I just wait.
2: One one thing myself, but
3: I I may be wrong. One
2: way Mitt may be winning is that he's planting into a living mulch of clover. And so it's shading the soil surface and that may actually one help with like the tilth of the soil and two, it, it may have a little bit more moisture whereas if it was something that was previously disked and had a bunch of rains on it or sprayed it may be kind of hard more hard on the surface
4: yeah and so actually the the opposite problem is true in the in the in the spring is getting enough dry days to go in yes. there and where are but the fall is where you'll see where the ground can be really hard but if what my process in the fall is once my annuals in the places where i don't have a a, a summertime crop growing um is I'll go in and burn it down, chemically burn it down. Um, as soon as the the, the, the clover or whatever um, forage I have, when it matures and goes down, I'll keep it clean the rest of the summer. And so even I was at the farm earlier this morning, and even in this extreme drought that we've been under, I've had some of my fields clean for you know six weeks now, and you can take a screwdriver and my moisture is right at the top of the ground. And, you know, even during all this excessive heat and, and drought, and so it's just there's nothing there to consume that moisture, and that thatch is on the ground to protect it. Um, so I'll nope. I'll better plant right into moisture, um, when when whenever we choose and get the seed right up.
2: That's awesome. I mean, even with my little poor man no-till technique, I've uh, that I've described a million times. Uh, even without a rain, I've I get a great stand, no doubt. It, yep. Just because that moisture is trapped right below right. that thatch. I mean, even
4: if you're conventional tilled, I mean, if you'll keep it clean and then m- when you do disc it, make sure you follow that, that plant or the, the cedar right behind the disc. Um, a lot of times it'll be a lot of moisture right there. It won't last very long um, after you disc it up, but that's a very effective way. Yeah, that's, I mean,
3: that's what I, I've even... Especially when you're trying to plant more soil plants in traditional farming techniques and i mean it's easy enough to grow them in more soil mud and stuff but uh i found that i have to follow that i mean i i, I will break the soil like either early in the morning or late late in the right. day because you lose it in the summer you lose it it's, it's crazy within you tell me if i'm wrong within an hour you lose massive amounts of soil moisture. depends on the soil type absolutely yeah. so we would follow right behind that with a cultivator and we had so much more success yeah growing more soil seeds by, I mean, literally just trying to minimize every minute that the soil's cracked open. And and usually we'd cultivapack it twice to try to get it back, you know, covered again. And, I mean, nothing will save you in a severe drought, but it helped a lot. So, Mitt, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this
1: regen uh, farming or regen food plots. Uh, I think Luke is working on your farm on some of it, isn't he?
4: He is. So they've got, uh, him and Bronson, they've got a study they're doing. I mean, they're, are in several States. It's all over the Southeast that they're, they're reproducing. I don't know a lot of details on the particular study. This is the first year in it, but, um, what basically the premise behind the research is we're, we're going to test the regenerative practices compared to conventional food plots. And so there's a lot of hype around regenerative practices right now. Um, I got to be careful because I can be very cynical about, about that. Um, you know, what the, some of the claims that some of the regenerative guys are making. Um, it's the, the theory is legitimate. I mean, we certainly need to be good conservationists. We need to be taking care of our soils. That is the sustainability of what we do in, in production row crop. Um, if we're doing anything, you know, to detriment of that, we're only hurting ourselves. And so, you know, the, the idea of sustainability and regenerative is not new. I mean, if, if you're a farmer and you depend on that ground, you've been thinking that way for years. Um, and so the mainstream media, I think oftentimes that I think they've hijacked that terminology in, in, in some way. And so I've got to be careful about talking about that from just from what I get to see from from my point of view. But the, some of those regenerative practices are legitimate. I mean, no till operations. Um, you know building your your soil microbiome in such a way to where they can release nutrients i mean those there's microbes in the soil profile that are taking the parent material breaking that down and making more nutrients available that's happening every day whether we whether we you know choose to do it intentionally or not and so anything we can do to promote that is something good and so i don't take anything away from that from that type of practice but to think that I can go out there and, and go to no-till situation or, um, you know, let my, my, some type of forage, um, grow up to be six foot tall. Then I take some type of roller and roll it down and plant into that. And, you know, all the hype that we're hearing about that right now, um, that's just not, not reality. And I would argue from a production row crop side that that can even impede yield and production if not managed right. And so, um, Are there some good characteristics and things that we can learn from that quote-unquote regenerative ideas? Absolutely. But I think a lot of us are taking that to the next extreme and expecting too much out of that movement Hmm. to make an effect on on our food plan.
2: Well, I mean, in a sense, uh, you you described earlier techniques and treatments that you're doing at your place that that closely mimic the regenerative agriculture anyway. So it's almost how – really depends on how it's defined. That's right. Semantics, that's right. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's
3: semantics. Yeah, because
0: when you were describing it, I was like, that's just what they were talking about. Because you got lower input costs, you know, but you, it, it yields better. Well,
4: instead of calling it, you know, uh, regenerative and sustainable, I mean, common sense. Yeah. I mean, we, we're, we're not going to do anything that's going to compromise the soil's ability to produce for us. And anything that we can do to reduce inputs, we're automatically going to do that. Mm -hmm.
3: Um, so are there some things and techniques that we're learning that we can add to that? Sure. So I, I just think it's important for everybody out there. Listen, you can learn from everybody. Uh, it's not like, do I know a lot? Does he know? Yes. He knows a whole lot. Probably as much as anyone we've had here, Bobby Dudley, Lanny, everybody, but I kind (laughs) of equate it to you do. I mean, we've learned, I've learned so much listening to biologists, people like you, but I was making a point about this, the, we Hear more and more the most important word in managing a place is versatility, you know. Mm-hmm. And right. the same way with all this, it's such a complex science of soil and planting things and techniques. And you know, the point from it is l- listen and learn as much as you can and make your own place versatile, diverse, and try things. Yeah, don't be closed minded. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean. Do you, I mean you probably have more of all the answers than anybody? But just like we talked about uh, the sustainable, you know, plan. We'll test it. Yeah. Well, if you that, know, you know, try things. Try, try things, people, and learn. Because I mean, for me, it's hard to get me off of something I've seen work again and again and again. And it's really easy to see me try something new where I failed again and again and again. You know.
4: Well, that that to your point, if I've got any answers that somebody else does, is because I failed so many times. That's exactly. I mean, so I'm, not, I'm not afraid to, to try something new and to be very very observant. <laughs> yes. um, and it's and then from you know the, the, the world that I come from from a crop consulting, it's really easy to get duped into tradition. Well, we've opinion. got we've got a way that Paul Paul did this, and it's hard to see any other way. And so, and even for me, I mean, we got, we got a routine. It works. We know it works. We've had success and it's hard to see outside of that. And so being observant when you do try things and give it an honest, you know, observation, that's where I've, my biggest strides have, have come from and just watching, being observant um, from these different techniques that I'm trying and, and being critical of them.
1: You know, you're approaching this, that when you mentioned that 12 month calendar and trying to find those voyage and. And fill it in. That that's some that's 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 pure gamekeeper right there. That's 100%. taking care of the property, uh, you know, and, and and trying to figure out the the valleys that you need to fill in. That I'm just so impressed with that. It's got my mind. It's got me thinking about how to do some of those things. But then we have a lot of guys, and I could also fall into this bucket as well. well I want to have a fall food plot that's just as attractive as it can be, so that I can pull in as many deer and see as many deer as I can that fall and that winter. And uh, and so I I think there's a lot of people that still are thinking that way. And so in your mind, Mid, if you were trying to plan a food plot just to do that, what would you what kind of timing and what kind yeah. of species would you look at and what kind of fertilizer regime would you look and, for that? good question, Bob. That's That's a valid approach. That's the same approach I take.
4: I'm gonna and say so that's don't miss the that. majority. Yeah, that's yeah. the
3: majority of American
4: yeah. hunters. And, and so it, it's and what we what we learn as um, you know stewards of the land and and managing our individual places, in essence, you may not want to think about it this way, but it's competitive. I'm, I'm trying to produce better habitat, better forage, um, higher quality, lower pressure than my neighbor. Because if I, if I'm succeeding those things, the, the, the target buck that I'm after is going to spend more time on my place than my neighbor, which is going to give me more opportunity to harvest him than my neighbor. And so that's really what it's about. And so I don't, that doesn't, all the things that we're talking about, that doesn't get lost on me because I, I, I'm keying in on that too. And so to answer your, your question, it's, it really, it's site specific. Um, And so I'll walk through some different scenarios and just kind of get you in your mind's eye, the way that I'm thinking about analyzing this. And so if I've got, if I've got a place that is very high deer density, I've got a lot of miles to feed. I don't have much open ground. I'm thinking about, I need to produce as much forage per acre as I possibly can. All right. So the number one thing that I'm going to be looking at is make sure I don't have any limitations on my soil fertility program. That's one thing that I can control. So make sure that I've got my pH is right. My P and K, I'm making my nitrogen applications timely. I'm doing everything right on that side. And then when it comes to to, the planting date, I want to plant as early as I can um because that that early growth in in September is where I'm going to get the majority of my vegetative growth once it starts getting cooler that far just going to start slowing down and once it slows down with a lot of miles I never catch up y'all have all hunted food plots where I've got a bunch of miles my food plots small it just not going to catch up until March well if I can get ahead of that early in the fall then um, I can get that vegeta- early vegetative growth and maybe get ahead of that to where it'll sustain me more into that those colder months. The, the drawback, do, you think that,
3: do you think that having a bigger root system helps? Absolutely.
4: Too, on top of that, I mean, when you got a, a more robust root system, uh, it's right. more available moisture and the more available nutrients right. that that plant can can take up. And so that's another advantage to a earlier. Um, so it can take that browse that heavier browse better with a more robust robust uh, root system. Um, the drawback to that earlier planting date is here in the south we have to contend with armyworms and if you plant a grass oh yeah you got to be watching for those armyworms because they'll they'll take it out and then we're starting from scratch which sets the clock back again and that's
3: counterproductive to what i want to do um so we want to be very mindful of that and what do you what's your recommendation out. on a pesticide too that's safe safer because i always worry about you know if you plant something and you know you've got to contend with them deer might graze on it the next day and i'm so conscious of that what would what would be your recommendation yeah so um
4: well there's a there's a um you know there's a two ways to handle that and think about that Toxie. There's one if I find them and I need to eliminate them in my stand because they're already already there right. versus a preventative right. So the preventative side is uh, what a lot of people you know they, they rarely think about. We handle it you know after the fact after I'm so there's some chemistry out there that I can put out that has a very, very long residual correct that will get me a way outside of the, the army worm window that right. I don't have to be as diligent about making sure that I'm checking it three times a week. And so um there's there's some options out there that uh, that are very safe, um, safer for grazing on the label. Right. Um that we can that we can utilize.
3: Well I've
1: We can, well, we can what was, name some. What are what are we
3: Well, I mean, I've had the best luck by because millets are the hot topic. I mean, it is so hard to grow because it's right in the middle, and they lo- I think they love them more than they do tender wheat or anything. Uh Who was our entomologist that came when we had the Army Word podcast? Angus, yeah, Angus gotcha. and I, we started talking about ones, and my favorite one has always been Intrepid, That's right, or a variant of that. And he was like, "It's very, very safe." He he recommended. I just want to see what you might say, and then uh, I've all even if I've had an outbreak, it works. You know, I guess if it's really infested, then you better kill them. But he just pretty much said. The way it's absorbed into the plant, next bite they're done. Well, you know, so I've had better just for me, and it does have quite a bit of residual. And it, you know, obviously depends on how big is the plant you put it in to start with, and then how much more rain and all. But I've had that particular one; I've had more luck than any of them. Yeah. Well, there's
4: there's three or four um, chemistries in that same family. Um, Intrepid's one of them.
3: Uh, Very effective. um, Systemic. You know. You know what? I asked him. I remember now. I said, "What would you spray?" In your yard that your kids were going to play in. That's the one I want to know because I'm thinking about deer, ducks. I mean, I want to, I care about the critters. And so, and I want people to think about it before they just dump something out there that might be harmful to the critters, too. So that's one reason I wanted to see what you thought about. Yeah, so there, I mean, there's you know that intrepid's one good. There's a family of chemistries there, but um, that's
4: just one of one of many. But that's a very effective way that a lot of people don't take that proactive approach. That's that you know you're thinking millet in the well, in I the mean, I, I
3: yeah, I do millet because yeah, you just right. can't grow that. But a food plot would be did I discover them and then I need to react to it. I would still rather have something if I planted an early food plot. I would want something to kill them, but also be preventative yeah. too. I yeah. wouldn't want to just you know the the I guess the the old seven dust was the way to do it, and then, uh, well, grizzly, which is uh, what's grizzly, a million different traits. Yeah, that will kill them. Yeah, so. It'll nuke. I mean, it it nukes them. Goes to the nervous system immediately. But yeah, then, think that's a one rain I grizzly. Yes, yeah, right. And it, it it you know then, but it's over with. It doesn't keep. That's right. No right. residual. Anyway, we we digress. But that's mm-hmm. that's the way I'm
4: thinking about from a, from an earlier um, plant and date standpoint. And then another example. Well, so would tell be, me a date in there. So I mean, right close i mean first of september um you know obviously we're gonna have to think about planting that around the rain um we probably won't be very effective outside of of a no-till environment that we've been thinking about for six weeks where i've I've preserved that soil moisture outside of that we're gonna have to be looking for rain in the forecast but we're gonna get one um and so be looking for those opportunities under that circumstance where we got high deer pressure and i need to put a lot of vegetative growth in my food plots fast Um, so
2: september here In Mississippi is probably sometime in August in the in the Midwest, and then probably sometime in July in the Upper Midwest. It it could be,
3: yeah. So for people listening, this will be out in like a week or so. Mm -hmm. We are going to be in a great part of at least the country in the South in a pretty severe drought. What would you say to people? Because I know people, a lot of people, including myself, in the past, it's time to do it. We better get started. You know, you get in a hurry and you just do it. I mean, to me right now, the worst thing I could do would be breaking any soil up at all. Right. So you would go ahead and be prepared whether you bush hog it or burn it down and get that all out of the way. And I just want to get that out there for mm-hmm. people. And you can confirm it or, or shoot me down. Don't touch it right now. I mean, do not break your soil up like a month ahead of time with the drought. Preserve every bit of moisture you can. Is that right? Well, I'd, I'd add a caveat in there, though, that... If I already don't have any soil
4: moisture to even preserve and I've got a lot of field preparation to get me ready to where I can eat plant, then I probably would go ahead and start preparing it. Um, In the situation that I described on my farm down there, I was thinking about that six weeks ago um, where I've already done that preparation. So now the the next thing that goes to the field will be a planter. Um, Now, rewind, you know, 20 years ago. I was the guy that had, you know, eight foot tall Johnson grass, you know, in his food plots out there with daddy's eight in forward bush hogging it, disc it 23 times before I could even see any dirt. If you're in that situation, then I probably would go ahead and start start getting going so I can be in better timeliness yeah. on that range. I resemble
3: that remark. Yeah. I better oh. get on a tractor. I and mean, honestly, I think that's the majority. Got the Marty, that's the, a fancy one. Yeah, the majority of people out there maybe be that condition. So I'm saying maybe. At a minimum, go ahead and get it bushed out, bush hogged down or burned down or something, get it to where, you know, it's a lot easier Mm -hmm. to not have to, You maybe you got to cut it 15 times instead of 23, you know? There's so
2: many, it depends on on that question. That's
0: exactly what I was thinking. Bronson will be proud.
4: Yeah. Yeah. For the guy that's got the eight foot tall um, grass and and ragweed, uh, one thing that I found very effective in this, because I've I've been there before, is, uh, and I, I don't know everybody's capability of doing this, but. A lot of times you can bush hog. This is generally the driest time of year. It doesn't take very long for that, that grass to dry down or the, the soil moisture content or the moisture content in the leaves will dry down quick. Disc you a fire lane around it and you can put
3: a, a, a fire across yeah, it. I love and a it. And it is yeah I love it, but we got a, a burn field. ban on right now. So
1: Oh it, does it, so that just burning that 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 that. Oh, of awesome. Is, yeah. That's
4: right. And then your your disk or planner it not not to to process that that material mm-hmm. and so that's that's a that's a, a fast way to to eliminate that look
3: any excuse for me to burn you know that yeah yeah Yeah. but we can't right now i I actually have some eight foot tall johnson grass exactly in a a place or two and i wanted to so bad but can't do it right now all right Lanny, i'm gonna come to you after i'm gonna ask
1: one question before i forget it okay so mitt going back i'm that guy and i'm trying to make my plot as attractive as i can that fall and winter when I when you think about it, are you adhering? Are you measuring that and going? It's three acres. I can only put this amount of seed. Are you overseeding it? Tell me about your plant population.
4: Per, yeah, yeah, that's per a, acre. That's a good question. Great question.
1: So, um, thinking about
4: too, when and if you think about from a production row crop standpoint, um, overseeding is a detriment. I mean, we overseeded; it, it hurts yield. Millet will be a great example of corn, sorghum, too much is not good. And so there's an optimum plant population where I'm looking at grain yield. And so that's 100% we need to be following those those guidelines. We'll set that over here. The fall food plot blends that we're we're looking at, especially in the spots where I've got, you know, a lot of deer pressure. Well, y- the timing that I'm wanting, uh, that I'm interested in that forage being productive, is before tillering, before you know a lot of the vegetative growth, and so that one seed is going to produce one sprout. That one sprout is going to be one bite, and so the more bites I can put on, on per acre, it's it, it's to my advantage. And so in in the, the the forages that I'm looking for a fall forage, I'm I'm going a time and a half, if not two x especially on some of the cereal grains, um, you know, in my mixes, um, because again, it's, that's counterproductive for grain yield, but for a forage in the window that the deer hunter is looking for, that's better, especially in a, in a high, but that can backfire on you. Now, if you don't have high enough deer populations to keep that down, because then your vegetative growth is going to get so, so out of hand that it won't become, it'll become you know impalatable to the deer. Uh, and it won't be as attractive. And so there's that's where that it depends comes into fact and really understanding the situation that you're in, and you can you can cater to, to your exact situation uh, very effectively.
3: So, it, so would fertilizer it, would be real important, right? Absolutely. There too, yeah. So it would would it matter if it's like you're going mostly cereal grains with maybe some clovers? Seems like if to me, if you include like radishes or brassicas into the mix of that conversation, you need to be a little careful because if if, if you don't have enough pressure, they're shading everything out because it's a big paddle, right. you know, shading the ground. So, uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, with this, maybe heavy up the cereal grains, but still be a little more conservative yeah. with the big leafy stuff.
4: But it still brings up an important point because in the mixes, you've got different, um, you know— Curves of maturity and growth curves within those forages. So what you don't want to do is have two forages in there that can be competing with it, with one another. And so a good example of that would be uh, heavy seeded uh, wheat with possibly a, a crimson clover. So the wheat would be competing with my crimson clover in the very important times. And so that would be something that that we need to be thinking about. What I do personally is after the, the wheat or the cereal grains start to tiller in the spring and become not as palatable, I'm coming in there in, in February, March, whatever time it is and putting a, a a selective herbicide over the top of my clovers to eliminate any competition from my cereal grains. And then that gives my, my clover, um, you know, full, full steam ahead to go to full production, full seed production in preparation for the next year.
1: So take me back to this uh
0: this, this food plot. I you, thought I was going to get to ask a question. I've been sitting over here being patiently yeah. quiet for <laughs> 68 minutes and 45 seconds. Bobby asked all my questions I have right, right now. now. And then you're going to ask right. another question. Eventually, I'm not going to have any questions yeah, to go ask. Go
3: ahead. Go ahead. So Jump, jump in.
0: I want to talk about Clover Establishment in the South. What's your? What would be your prescription for getting? It seems like you're planting more annual clovers and perennials a month. No, that's probably 50-50. 50-50. Yeah. Can you? So if you're going to establish a new clover field in the south, perennial clover, let's say, mm-hmm. what timing? You know, what are you going to do? Can you take us back to the one hundred one and what you're going to try to do
4: there? Yeah, yeah.
2: And assume that a lot of our listeners are doing traditional. You know tillage and all that stuff right
4: right so yeah and and the 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 method of planting it's really just seed soil contact if i can get seed soil contact whatever method i i I have whether it be broadcasting on on top of the ground and then bush hogging over the top of it whatever i can get to get seed soil contact as long as i can get that the method is really irrelevant Mm -hmm. so i'm just thinking about what's the most effective and the the least costly and more importantly What can I do with the least amount of time investment? And so that's why I've chose to go to to a no-till system. But that's not, I mean, you can do a myriad of different things. Um, But the clovers, the the same way, outside of a few species like crimson that really jump early, you know, in the the fall, they can give you some forage, uh, uh, you know, early. A lot of the other ones are slower to establish, especially the perennials, the first year on the perennials. And so I'm always adding a cereal grain in there for my, you know, so I can get that early green up and I have some good high quality forage uh, and some desirability um, because the clovers, as they establish, generally they're not, they're not good forage Mm -hmm. early, early in the season. So to that point, the earlier I can get that established and get it going, then I can take advantage of those, those warm days in the fall that I can get more vegetative growth on those, on those clovers, And so early establishment of those clovers is important. What you don't want to do though, is plant too early. We get that rain, get that germination, and it turns off hot and dry. Our root system is very, you know, small. It can't sustain that, that drought. And then we, we lost it all. And so there's a, there's a fine line in there uh, of getting it right. And we've got to be lucky as we, as we press the, the envelope on that earlier side, I mean, you know, we need uh we need need a little rain in there to do that, but when when that all that comes together, it's uh um, it produces a much higher value clover that first year. So you're going in,
0: just looking at soil moisture more than anything, and when to plant as early in the in the
4: fall as you can with adequate soil moisture. And the reason why I'm 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 saying that, Lanny, when you when you're looking at say we'll lose Balenza clover for mm-hmm. example, I don't know if you've ever gone behind mature Belenza clover and looked at the soil surface soil surface. It is I would, I would be, it'd be interesting to know how many pounds of seed are on the ground. It would be hmm. hundreds, huh. hundreds of pounds of seed, clover seed. And so the next year after that, I've got clover now that's already germinated. It's germinated probably two weeks ago. So that tells you right there that it has the capacity to be growing, actively growing and doing mm-hmm. even right now. right now. And so that was back early August. And so just being observant and watching that it, you know, the plant species will tell you, you know, what, what I want to do and what I can do. Hmm. And so with those, with that, um, uh, reseeding and coming back from reseed from last year, those fields, they'll have six to eight inches growth more than the newly established stuff that I do this year because of the timing of that. Hmm. And so if you're thinking about the, the forage and, and you know what can i have as a killing plot early on earliness is where it's at
3: mm-hmm.
4: especially on some of those slower growing you know first year establishment perennials and even some of those slower that ones that mature later um and in, in the spring you want to give
3: them a lot of early vegetative growth the killingest spots we had most attractive have been our perennial clover yeah but on year 2 that's right yeah. that's right Year two, year three, year four. I I'm no into five years mm-hmm. on one. But what I'm basically trying to do is is lay the groundwork. So in fact, you can go out in the middle of the winter and not really see much at all. You know, it's kind of microscopic looking to this point. Not much to eat. So you do have. I'm I'm putting some radish in there with uh, cereal grain, typically, and in almost all cases, even if you have just a scattering of, and, and you know me, I'm a I crow about non typical clover all the time. It will just Take off like kudzu, and you know it's still in this drought right now. We hadn't had rains that they've had all around here. I'm gonna say five or six weeks since the rain, and it's still just as green as it can be yeah. right now. That's just such a rarity. And for your point is, I've got. I mean, you don't want to put all your eggs in any one basket of anything, but for me, I've got something that's been green, and very nutritious for all 300. There's no void. There's no like it falls off in May. I have to do something in the summer. It's been green and nutritious for, whatever, 48 months now. So one thing you got to be careful about in in thinking that, and I'm not taking anything away
4: from that particular variety or or the species of that forage, but I would argue it was probably more about site selection. So when I'm thinking about perennials versus annuals, I'm being very uh, purposeful in where I'm putting those. So my perennials, I'm putting them in some lower ground, maybe some shady areas. Or on the flip side, I mean, you put – a a perennial white clover on a bald hill in the middle of the cutover it's done in june Mm -hmm. it's done and so being very that would be more of a a spot that maybe crimson would 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 really do a good at and so i'm thinking about all those from a site specific site selection i couldn't um, agree more you know standpoint on really tailor making my food plots for what's going to maximize the production in that spot may be different on the other hill, but right here, this is the blend that, that I'm choosing. So you got three or four different clover varieties on your place. I do. Huh. I Do Do you or,
2: typically, when you're saying I'm going to establish this perennial clover spot, are you, are you adding a cereal grain when you're planting? Absolutely.
4: It on a, on establishment year for sure, because there's, I'm not going to get a lot of benefit on that establishment right. year.
2: Do you lower your clover rate when you're mixing the grains in? Or I don't. Do you, okay.
4: I don't. And, and, you know, a lot of, you'll see a lot of the, the traditional back of the game bags. This is the rate. If you blend it, do this. I don't. I go full rate on everything okay. uh, gotcha. for the reasons that we talked about. And earlier. they're
2: so, yeah, they're so small <clears throat> when they come up, you know, if you were to do right. that with a brassica, right. you would start yeah. over.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the. I guess the downside of increasing the rate would be the added expense. Sure. But the downside of a, of a failure, I
3: don't even know how to measure that.
2: No. Well, we've so, always <laughs> said that, you know, the seed is really your cheapest. No
3: doubt. Yeah. Well, if you're there trying is. to establish a perennial plot that could last for years and years, yeah, you're a little short-sighted to scrimp on a no, or no to doubt. a seed on application. No doubt. It just seems like, and I've seen it be completely shattered out by brassicas and, and uh, radishes and, you know, Too high a stand of cereal grains, and now we've got introduced this stinking ryegrass that invades everything around here. Yet, it will come to life in the spring. Uh, You know, if you've got it, I don't know, if it lays dormant, if it's just tolerant of that in the winter, you know, because it's cold, I don't Mm -hmm. know, but uh, it comes to life. And of course, you got to manage it after that. But uh,
0: full planting rate of cereal grains, too. Mm
4: -hmm. Oh, sure. And
3: matter of fact, I may even bump that even a little more Mm -hmm. because.
4: That where it can be competitive, I've eliminated it. Right, and so same was as ryegrass. I mean, Oof. ryegrass is a big, big issue. It is. It, but it, it, it doesn't have to be. Right. I mean, a, a February application of of um, gone. I mean, I don't care how we need some how red. old <laughs> of established ryegrass problem you've got, you can make it go away. Mm-hmm. Setoxadim. It's yeah. amazing. Clexadim, setoxadim,
3: I know there's stuff in the there. seed bank, and that's how it gets there. But it was amazing to me how much that helped i just went ahead and i typically like to let the seal grains come on and head out you know because we're they're scattered out right they That's land right. great for turkeys and poults and but i just went ahead and smoked it all early one year you know because when it's small like yep. just coming out of winter it's so easy and i had it it improved the progress problem unbelievably yep.
4: and so you know to that point about um you know the, the cereal grains letting it go to maturity and. Because that's great, you know, brood ring habitat. Great, um, it, it's really, really high quality stuff. But again, if the blend's not right in that window, I could have the best wheat stand ever. But if it's in a crimson clover field, poll's not fixing to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm being very purposeful along my roadsides to plant those cereals where I'm actually trying to take it to yield. My nitrogen applications, the timing and the amounts reflect that. And so I'm. I'm trying to grow yield for those those uh, um, you know wheat species in those situations where what I've got in a clover mix in a deer field, then I've got a whole different strategy there.
2: That's very interesting.
3: Yeah. Fairly brilliant, actually. Yeah. I mean, you've yeah. got
2: uh, brood cover on the side of your road with... Seeds falling on the ground, and and that's a different story out in the middle of a big field. Correct, where you got a bunch of thick clover. That's right.
0: So, what do you think is everybody's most limiting factor, other than soy moisture?
2: Can I guess? Yeah, I'm going to say nitrogen and pH.
4: Yeah, I would I would say pH, even
2: though they're oh, they're two different right, that f- is important. classes of things. <clears throat> yeah, nitrogen always <laughs> falls out of the soil first. I mean, that's <laughs> why a bunch of stuff yellows up.
3: Yeah. So um all Lime applications aren't created equal either, right? Right. That's what hmm. I thought, yeah, and so um, I mean, we can go down that road if you want. To.
2: The the pelleted works quicker and all of that stuff, and and then then now you've got all the foliar stuff. You know, they're saying is is a liquid lime. Some of them is calcium yeah, so carbonate. Some of got, it's not. It,
4: when it's, you got a product that is measured in tons to amend the soil. And then you show up with a two-and-a-half-gallon jug.
2: <laughs> right. Uh,
1: I'm a little skeptical now.
2: Yeah. yeah, you can kind of
1: tell where he's going to go. When you ask a question, yeah. he starts grinning yeah. a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, y'all teed that one up really.
3: Yeah, really. Kind of oh, nice. yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering what is the best long-term solution for someone to try to amend their place, you know, not for just one deer season, but on an ongoing well, basis.
4: In terms of, of pH, I mean, it's without a doubt, you know, calcitic lime or dolomitic lime. Right. Um, and that that's what it's going to take
3: to amend that soil and
4: bulk soil. lime, yeah, bulk lime. That's right. And uh, so,
3: but let me ask you this the difference between the dolomite lime or and then like mine from these lime outcrops, like the mine, difference is magnesium, right? Yeah. The dolomitic will
4: have a component of magnesium, so that's a, a good cheap source. If you need lime and you're low in magnesium too, dolomitic would be, but I mean, proximity and hauling it, that's the expense of lime, and so. Mm-hmm if I'm in the shadows of a, you know, Calcidic can you put lime. magnesium additive in your fertilizer sure, application sure. and there's, there's sources for magnesium yeah. and, you know, other, other ways. So, uh, so.
2: My farm is uh, really high in magnesium. So if I was going to put out lime, I would probably want to put out a calcitic yep. lime. And uh, a lot of people say that you want to have a two to one ratio of calcium and magnesium. Uh, that's kind of a, I don't know. Some people disagree on that, but uh, a lot of people say if, if it gets too out of whack, you can have like the surface crusting over things like yeah, that. Yeah. So that,
4: so that two to one, you got to be really careful there because, you know, some of the prairie soils, it's not unusual to have 8, 10, 12,000 pounds of calcium per acre from yeah. the soil test. And so that two to one, you know, wouldn't be, you'd, you'd get all kind of toxicity um, from a magnesium level that high. But right. you go to Georgia um, where you may have a CC of two. Um, then that could be very applicable. Where their yeah. their calcium contents could be, you know, two and three hundred.
1: Okay. So while we're here, I gotta <laughs> ask, cause it seems like we get a lot of opinions, how much lime do you are you one of these guys that says, well, the soil can only digest or process a ton a year, or, that can, depends. or can it do more? So that that's
4: absolutely can do more. And so it, it's a chemical reaction. Um and so when when you apply that lime to the to the soil the depth of incorporation matters um so the exposure of the soil to that that lime affects what you're talking about how much it can it can be utilized so on a production level um we'll generally cut it off at five tons you know if it's calling for that high and if it's calling for more we've seen some call for more we'll we'll do a subsequent application the next time but you know the the one ton a year adage that that's all that's not that's not the case. So
3: how deeply would you incorporate in most soils? Um, the rooting depth of whatever plant species that I was I was doing. I'm so seven sure. six, six, six six inches. Six okay. Inches. Yeah. So two two tons if it calls for it is no big deal. No no big. But deal. You I would, would. The I more would, it is the more it is. It's more important to incorporate. You think? Uh, well,
4: that's going to be the speed of the reaction. So if I've got a very low um, soil pH. And I need to make that amendment faster, and corporation is going to get me there quicker. Um, will it work
3: by, you know, surface applying? Sure, but just not as fast. Sure. One more question also. Okay, so I've got a standing clover crop that's been there. And obviously I can't incorporate, and you don't want to – because I did apply once, and I think I killed it. I think we just put too much. You know, what would be – what would you want to do? Because one of the things Kenny talked about is clover plot he's had for, like, 10 or 12 years that he was able to keep the pH – at a constant by adding some what's the, what do you recommend yeah. to people who want to yeah keep that clover going and they did a test and feel like they need some more uh, pH, uh higher ph yeah and so unless you put lime on that field that
4: covered the clover right six inches deep that, that didn't kill it okay so it was right. something else that, <laughs> that, that happened there but it's no different than our, our liming applications we do in pasture. Right. Um. The the best shot is to do it than to not do it. Right. If I can't incorporate it, still put it out. It's just going to take a little bit longer for that soil reaction, that yeah. soil chemistry reaction to happen. I've
2: read where most types of lime can move into the soil about an inch a year on average. So yep. if you were to put a ton a year out mm-hmm. and you did it over a long time frame just freeze and thaw and and whatever will kind of suck that in that's uh, over time you know,
4: that's, you know it's that's good in theory but most of us food plotters you know we're dealing with you know sub 10 acre fields yeah. right. times, uh, acre so you're having to beg bar and steal just to get somebody to come and put mm-hmm. out lime in right. the first place yeah. for sure and so exactly. you know in theory that spoon feeding would be good but logistics if if i'm calling for mm-hmm. four tons and I've got an applicator that's willing to come do it. I'm putting all four tons out yep. there, right? Um, just because I don't know when I'll be able to get him back. Tons, I mean, uh, tons of lime. That's that's a hard application. It's hard and to do on your own, and it's it's. it's in reality,
2: of, we we talk about how important lime is, but in reality, a lot of folks that are listening can't get a big lime buggy and a right. lime truck to all of their fields. Right. I can't either, yep. and so I feel like a lot of us are forced to use the more pelletized, more right. expensive pelletized lime yep yep
4: but it's still it's it will make a big if that is a, a limited huge factor, difference that was by far the one that can make the biggest impact the fastest if your ph is out of whack what
2: do you think about the uh, folks talking about how pelletized lime you know works quicker uh my understanding yeah. is it's all about the grind of the lime yeah whether the, it's
4: but the chemistry of the pelletized lime is a little bit different and so it, it lends itself to a faster reaction but when you start talking about the, the grind and, and that when you said all lime is not created equal, that's absolutely true. Um, lime is, is measured and actually Mississippi's got a state law that it's got to, to do. So it's, it's the calcium carbonate equivalent or the RNV, the relative neutralizing value. And so that's a component of the type of material and the, the consistency of the grind. And so. If it's big chunks, obviously it's not going to react as fast. If it's small baby powder type, it's going to react a lot faster. And so that relative neutralizing value is a very important number to have. If you've got, um, you know, an and v of 80% and my recommendations calls for a ton of lime, I need to take that ton, yeah, times or divided by the 80%, 20% more to get that same recommendation if I have an R&V of 80 percent so important important to, to yeah. know that
1: i've heard that yeah that that is and i'll that, tell you there's been guys sit on that couch that have told us hey it gives you soil can't process more than you know a ton a year yeah, that, so it is kind of con- kind of confusing because yeah, we, yeah. we've heard no, get that. Yeah. And, and we look well, we're looking at you and we we we're, we believe what you're saying we're trying. We want to make sure we Bobby. That's what you but, tell everybody. We'll be yeah, like Ronald yeah. Reagan: trust but verify. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it may be that just they've learned stuff in the last since the last couple of years. And ago. that but, you know that
2: may work on somebody else's soul, but, but not you know not but, on. Well, it, 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 it goes back to it depends. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's been some older people sat there and said that. Right, 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 right. <laughs> no telling, paw paw. So, what about
4: oats? What do you think about oats? Oats are a thumbs up. Oats. um, you mean to give you a quick little blurb yeah. about each yeah. one? In my opinion, yeah. Uh, they're not very winter hardy. They're very um, uh, desirable from from a deer standpoint. And they give you that early. We actually learned from that past freeze that there's probably the least tolerant from you know the cold damage. So wheat's okay. a thumbs up. Yeah, wheat and oats. Wheat and oats. Yeah.
1: So, well, what about Austrian? Yeah. What about Austrian winter peas? As far as highly desirable
4: in the right spot, but probably won't last very long because that they are going to key in on them um and really prefer them and pick those out of the blend.
1: Yeah. Ladino clovers.
4: Ladinos, I like Ladinos. Yep. Yeah, they're very hardy depending on the variety. I've got some that's uh seven years old. That's that's what I'm yeah, talking that's about. That's a killer right there. Yeah
1: what what about chicory?
4: Chicory, um I'm indifferent on chicory. Um I'm gonna probably be a little more purposeful uh in my plots. Chicory, I could take it or leave it. Red clovers. Red clover is my new hot spot. Um my reds heart. reds don't they don't give you much in the fall, mm-hmm. but they will last a long way into the summer. Hmm. And so that's that would be a good alternative to some of your summer type annuals. Reds will go a long, long way. So Reds are one, one of my new favorites.
1: What about onless wheat? Um
4: so there's a lot of debate on yeah, there on this wheat on, on, <laughs> yeah. on, on and, and same as um, the high tannin, you know, uh, milo. And so there's a, there's a very strategic way that you can use that plus or minus. And so the onless wheat from a grain standpoint, the deer love it. Um, the owns protect the wheat for a little longer. So if I've got a, a different species that, for example, our turkeys, we talked about our roadside turkeys. I'm planting on wheat for my turkeys. Because if not, the they'll eliminate. But the turkeys don't buy, it doesn't bother turkeys a bit though, still, because it'll be on the ground. It'll be hauled out on uh, the ground, right, right, you know, right. All the time, and that's where the turkeys are going. What about vetch? I was going
0: to ask vetch. Yeah,
4: vetch is vetch is the place that I put where I can't grow soybeans. Hmm. It, it handles browse really well. Uh, the thing about vetch is so expensive, and so when you when you look at at vetch compared to soybeans, I'm making plant soybeans two or even three times. For the price of one acre of vetch. Wow. right? So we need so,
2: to. We need to. Are we talking about American joint vetch? American joint vetch, the weird genus that's yeah. hard to yeah. uh, pronounce. It's
4: hard, hard to get, hard to pronounce, and hard to pay for.
2: Not the actual genus Vicia, which is the true vetches. Yes, yeah, the American so, joint vetch. What I'm right. talking, but
4: a great species. I love it. Very hardy and works in small plots where soybeans or some of the the more vulnerable, you know, summer type legumes won't work good. American joint vetches dynamite
3: what a lot of folks that? in the low country alfalfa plant. yeah there
1: you
4: go alfalfa's good alfalfa you got to be careful um because it will not tolerate wet feet it likes it will not tolerate low ph you got to have your fertility right with good drainage but alfalfa's as good as anything and it's very hardy very persistent They got roundup ready varieties now hmm. that are easy to manage keep clean
1: um alfalfa is 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 good
2: i saw a beautiful stand of that on on campus the other day yeah. well yeah
1: so i'm hearing people chatter about black oats what, what's the difference about the black oats so the, the where you see the black oats and as a lot of the the production
4: row crop um cover crop blends that's where black oats are, are you know very popular they uh they put a lot of forage on so that's what the the production row crop guys are looking for a lot of above ground biomass and black oats are they're fairly inexpensive and they do a really good job. Of doing, you don't hear much about them in, in food plot blends. Yeah, probably you know Persian would be another one that, that you need to put on your radar screen. There's some new Persians coming out. It
2: really that, <clears throat> you are, see you know. it a lot here in the prairie just from it. Yeah, but, people planting it years ago. Persian yeah, but that's, oats
4: or clover. But I'm talking about Persian native, that, that that native Persian is thumbs down. Yeah, we, we're trying to eliminate that. But the new hybrids that are out now, the new varieties, a lot bigger leaf. The Persians you're referring to, that real small leaf Persian, uh, grows in all the ditches and the roads, and mm-hmm. you can't get rid of it.
2: It looks uh, similar to red clover. It,
4: it does, but different. Right. Yeah. I grew some once upon a time. But you
2: don't see it much out of the prairie. I, I don't see That's it right. on acidic it's, soils. It's
4: almost invasive in, yeah. in the it, prairie, it, it, but the new it, Persians it, are yeah, not like that. They it was dead. it
3: mm-hmm. was the most beautiful clover I've ever seen in march yeah and by late april it was so tall and so stemmy and it stunk laid a mat over and killed everything it was like a dead zone it overgrew so fast and was of no value to deer
2: yeah you know and then you've got uh oh gosh um air leaf clover thumbs down so air leaf um, That's kind of like what Toxie's almost describing, is it? I mean, I yeah. grew it one time, and it got like seven feet tall. That's right, and it's not comfortable
3: and it's yeah, stemmy. Yeah, stink. um, it stinks when it you know gets too hot.
4: So, but the thing about red, it's zero value during hunting season, zero. Yeah. And then we get later in the season, it gets tall and rank. I mean, the places where um, I'd be thinking about the, the air leaf red by far is, is, is a better choice for, I think, the application that we're looking for.
2: Okay.
1: Lanny, you got uh, you got a Ford you want to ask about?
0: I was going to say Vetch, but you got that one.
1: Yeah. I tell you, Mitt, we, I think we put you through the ringer here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wanted to come back. We got more to 8, do. 8,000 questions. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> well, I, I tell you, what, it's it's obvious when we get somebody that knows what they're talking about, and yeah. get gets them to explain stuff. Well, I there. love
0: listening to you know he's got all the the row crop reference, and then how that translated to into food plots.
3: Makes yeah, but th- the one thing that's really cool, no matter who we have us, I think probably you may bring it to light more than anybody is that uh, you know there a there's so much to learn from so many people, and it's so complex and all but it's like the end of the day more important than us or you or anybody is you in your place no doubt and so learning about your place which let's face it let's go back to the same old broken record get some soil tests find out what's going on and then you know doing a variety of things so i guess my point being a little wordy about it, is it's what's more important than him talking or us talking or anything is you out there in your place and no matter who we talk to it reinforces that and so that's the beauty of owning land working land being a gamekeeper is this most important thing is you and your place and how you take it from there and what you learn
2: yeah you got you got where you are by being curious no doubt you know, yeah, uh, there, you know the, a big the question of what you know what's the one food plot blend that's the best and you're going to say it depends that's right, and, right. Uh, but it's because you you're curious and you've been trying all kinds of different things right. over
1: the years so did you grow up around here I didn't.
4: I grew up in Batesville on a hog farm about uh, 60 miles south of Memphis. I bet you
3: that I... Yeah,
0: Batesville's pretty close, man. Was, that's, right. that's around here. I <laughs> will guarantee you that
3: I used to unload hogs from where you worked when I was at Brian Foods working on... No, no doubt. My my dad that sold your dad a bunch of hogs. Well, I've it. unloaded. <laughs> yeah, hey, I used to come... When I'd come home, living at home, I'd come home, I'd take my overalls off, and I'd have to hang them up outside the back door before I could come in the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What well, did you go to Mississippi State? I did, and just went to went to school over here, and never left. Old bulldog. Yep, got a look
0: at that right. now. Oof. 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 That's
3: right. <laughs> We're proud of our dogs, especially right. our university.
2: I knew it was a bulldog. I didn't even have to ask. That. <laughs> um. Oh, I do have a little shout out. Uh, I got a I got a text message last night. Uh, my nephew is a Pike at the University of Arkansas, and he sent me a message. The the whole fraternity was watching the Gamekeeper show. Oh they, wow! While they were eating dinner, nice the other night. So sweet. I thought that was that was pretty dang cool. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Dudley, yeah. go Richie, go Richie!
1: Wow. Well, we know what you'll be doing next Tuesday night That's right. if you like these pikes. You'll be uh Tuned watching in. the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, is there anything you want anybody you want to call out to or something? I tell you what, what's the time I'm, to say hi
4: to mom. There you go.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One Mom, thing. I'm
0: on the Bobcast.
1: <laughs> I want to make sure. Uh, can you give out the website for your Mid South Resources?
4: Yeah, and so it's MRM Pros, or I, I think the long handle would be Mid South Resource Management. Uh, but MRM Pros um, is a, is a pretty good website that does a good job detailing kind of the the, the work we do and the things that we that we think about. Yeah, nice. that's how
1: that's how a guy can can get in touch that's with right. you, <clears throat> Mitt Wardlaw. Now, Mitt, we've got. Uh, Richie's got a trivia question. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we're gonna. Do, Can at, I phone a friend? At, at, Absolutely, as long might, as it's not yeah. Bronson. You know. <laughs> don't want Bronson. I know helping. Bronson's on my speed dial. Yeah. <laughs> these hard questions. You, uh, you might have
4: to. You know, we're, we're asking these hard questions here. So, oh, all right, we got. Uh, are we playing for a, for a, Greg a Boyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. Greg Boyd. Greg so, if you Bullard. get
0: it right, one of our viewers gets a, a prize from Bobby's Closet now because oh, he rated Tokyo. Yes. So, uh,
4: a
1: Cooper
0: blind. Dove, a Dove, Ooh, a dove oh blind. Yeah. Uh, have, you,
1: have you guys seen these things? I mean, there was one in here and I folded it up. I actually put something in your closet this time, Toxie. But the, there it's you a, go. It's a big half umbrella that you can hide behind, hide oh, yeah. behind. Yeah, yeah. Pretty nice.
2: Or put oh. it behind you. And And kind of hide in front of it and break your outline up. You sure sure could, Dad. I'm thinking about it. wanted to. I mean, he's (laughs) he's always looking at it from a different angle. You're making fun of me, but if you get stuck in that spot in the dove field and there's sun all over you, would you rather be glowing in the sun or would you you rather be a dark?
1: You get behind it, not in front of it.
2: With the sun hitting all over your back?
1: No. No, you you get you would make it where it cast a shadow. <laughs> you,
2: you don't get it. Yeah. You don't get it. I, I actually saw that. the Cooper guy explaining it that way. So
1: Yeah, Bobby. <laughs> you admit, you say, <laughs> Can we just close this thing out? Mitch, <laughs> uh, you go ahead, please.
4: All right. Again, you got these tough questions here. So tail bucks sometimes eat the velvet after they shed. True or false? True.
1: There we go.
0: Hey. Who who I are we playing for? Guy Boyd. Oh, how yeah, bad.
4: Is it, oh, is it Guy Boyd or Greg Boyd? Guy Boyd. Uh, i tell you, Richie Bob, left us
0: a. Well, I mean, this
4: is Bob. This is Bob's hand
0: Bob's handwriting? Yeah, yeah. yeah the Bob
4: and, cast. and Bob's
1: questions. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I, I just thought not everybody knew that it, it that, is interesting. to, to will eat their velvet. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a cast out for another podcast with him, and I'm guessing we might ought to get him a sparring mate because it's such a cool topic, but. You said something early on, and it was like, I just soon spent the whole time talking about that as food plots, but I couldn't open well, I my mouth. controversial. <laughs> no, it's not at all. Early successional, where you establish places and you manage to keep it in early successional yeah. state, basically. Yeah. And just, I want to get into that. I want to have... And talk about that in length, you know, because that's that's a complex yeah. topic, too. So I've got a
4: lot of intentional early successional habitat. Yes. Uh, different stages, different, you know, plant communities. Um, that would be a fun comment.
3: Yes, because, like, how long, you know, what – like, is it five years and you start over? Is it every year? I mean, do you have – what kind of diversity? So, so, I'd like to have that. Let's just we, – we've gone yeah. too long already. I'd love to be, be fun. have him back, and let's talk about that. And, you know, we've got – Maybe he could pick a sparring mate he loves talking about that with because I do think it's one of the most underrated um, wildlife property management topics. And the more it's been planted in my head and the more I've watched what I've learned over the years, I realize I've had a void. Of knowledge there that I need to get better at, so Mm -hmm. and it's not an accidental thing; it's a very intentional thing. So that would be a good. Well, it explains a lot that was always a mystery: why this, why that, why did that? Oh my gosh, look what happened here! And then you start. uh, Well, I'll give you one quick tidbit: the guy from uh, Oklahoma State, I believe, was who was the Rio Guru, and I was asking, why in the world do they have so many quail in South Texas and up around y'all? Oh, they got a bunch of them in Oklahoma and stuff too. That's like. it doesn't make any sense. He said, Well, I don't, you know, it's a very complex topic. There's probably a dozen or more factors affecting wild turkey populations today. But the one thing that's a constant we have such poor soil and conditions. Our habitat never grows beyond that early successional stage. So it's there permanently. And I started thinking, I've always wondered why. In South Texas, they could just they just grow quail like crazy when we lost them. And maybe that had, that just a light bulb went out with me when I saw all the places that would hatch turkeys or keep deer there, you know, and so forth. And so the more I thought about it, the more I listened to really smart people, that's become one of my favorite topics.
2: Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too.
3: Yeah, so Mitch, you mentioned earlier that uh, it seems
1: like everything you do, it's because you're thinking about your turkeys. Absolutely. Well, why while- drives me. While we've been sitting here, I've been thinking about your turkeys, too. <laughs> we
3: met this spring, I think... I we, think have, we should go down there and look at this think, plate. I think we should. <laughs> we should. See, we've now, got to forward, see this
0: clover. And I mean, you just now proved
3: that there are people in the table that he can't trust, and then there's something he can trust. Oh, <laughs> yeah, here we go. I'm, I'm being up front with you, man. I'm <laughs> being up front. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this has been... It's been a lot...
1: Lanny, what... What? We're not going to rapid fire? Yeah. I look, mean... Yeah, I totally forgot. i we knocked Bobby
3: off his game with the new intro. Yeah, we got to yeah, rethink yeah. that. We're, we're, yeah. let, let let's turn this over to Dudley.
2: All right. So uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but we ask everybody ten or twelve questions. Try to answer them quick. We just want to get to know you. Just a little learn bit about it. Right, right. It's, it's called rapid fire. It's All brought right. to you
1: by. Have Our you got buddies? a Springfield Armory pistol? They're they're fantastic. I do have one. They are. Uh, they they sponsor this. We're, we're real proud of those guys. Really useful this year digging out beaver dams. <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 that's what i would want on my hip if i was out there 100%. like you were this past right. week
2: are you ready i am here we go. go all right would you rather dove hunt labor day weekend or prep for deer season Dove hunt. do you typically call it dirt or soil? soul soul do you prefer common names or scientific names
4: common all day
2: uh Bologna sandwich with hoop cheese or Viennese crackers and hot sauce? I'm going Viennese. All right. <laughs> Spicy boiled peanuts or regular boiled peanuts? Regular. Do you usually prefer hunting on the edge of an opening or further in the woods? Edge. There you go. Forced to choose, would you prefer to plant wheat or oats? Wheat. Would you rather kill 160-inch 8-point or 170-inch 12-point? Eight. <laughs> good answer <laughs> Great uh, answer. small property owner would you rather have a dove field or a duck hole duck hole do you usually carry a rifle or a bow bow and last but not least uh, last but not least <laughs> yes or no is spray grade ammonium sulfate a worthy addition to a glyphosate mix
4: that's look, that's the most controversial question you asked today. <laughs> <laughs> With my back knowledge, can I plead the fifth? There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah that works. <laughs> no,
2: it's it's funny. We did talk about it before we went on air, and uh, he had some really good observations on that. And so I, I want to do some tests myself. There you go. Let's so, do it. There you go. Cool. Anyway. Well,
1: ba- basically, he said, Dead is dead. Yeah. It, it just
2: takes longer to die. So that's good to know. Uh, but where we, I think where we did agree, is that if you've got a good water source, it may not be as important. But right. if you're pulling out of a pond or you're pulling out of a well where there's a lot of alkalinity, like a lot of calcium, magnesium, all that other junk, it it may be beneficial to add.
4: It, it may be. And real quick, it all depends on the product that we're spraying, and that'll be on the label. It'll tell if it's got a propensity to be more acid or be more alkaline with the efficacy, and so we can adjust the water with you know chemistry like what you're talking about, ammonium sulfate. So. It's got a place.
2: Okay. Cool. Yeah, that was that, – anyway, I want to I want to try and <laughs> do some more tests.
1: This may be the longest we've sat in here because the, the shot no, clock has looped. Oh, it has looped. Yeah. I mean – So Mitt's got to come back. Well, Mitt, this has been a lot of fun. We appreciate yeah, you coming. Absolutely. And guys can get in touch with you at mitt at
3: com. That's it.
0: MRMpros. Yep.
3: There you go. Well, uh,
2: we appreciate you Thank coming you. in. Next here.
3: time we'll have him in for breakfast and just go all day long. And have, yeah, a and mitt, have a, a, a Mitt festival. Oh yeah. my goodness! In
2: lunch, just mic you up as soon, soon as you walk in the door. Now. No, so, I serious.
1: Mitt, I'll tell you this. I was trying to set Lanny up. I told Lanny that your name was Ward Mitlaw. I've been I've been called worse. It, he, and, he does this on purpose. And I've maybe. been waiting on Lanny all day long. But, but it's, I'm slicker it, than that. I don't think. But you, of you know, that. he
0: wrote your name on the I, I board. I because so, so.
1: I got scared. Toxic. If I wrote it wrong, I thought it might confuse and toxic. Bobby's
0: right. the world's worst at. at he uh, just wants me to follow
1: his lead. He's the one that butchers
0: everybody's
3: right, name. Right. Oh, yeah. That's backfired on Bobby a few times in his life too. Yeah,
1: Yeah. all right guys it's been fun thanks everybody for listening Uh, we we certainly appreciate it and be sure to check out the show on tuesday nights on the outdoor channel outdoor channel and uh, we'll see y'all
0: happy food plotting
1: yeah when it's it's rain, it's time to go yeah it is go time why don't you say goodbye dudley
0: goodbye dudley get us out of here richie
1: thanks for tuning in to this
0: week's episode of the gamekeeper podcast and be sure to tune in again Subscribe
2: to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.